Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So uh, thanks for gassing up my truck. I appreciate that. Oh, you're so welcome. So nice of you. Well, you know, it was nice of you to let me use your truck. Well, you had a big, fat, exciting day planned. You were going down to Bar Harbor, or as we say in Maine, Bahaba. Just, you're going to hang out with a friend and uh, just do the whole beach thing. How'd it go? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it was, it, there were, it was good time. It was good times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, you have this idea about what you're going to do. And, and you know, I had this thought, like, I'm going to hang out with my friend who I haven't seen in a really long time. And it's going to be amazing. And, it, you know, it was. But I ended up just moving really heavy furniture and then, and then having diarrhea at a convenience store. So... <laughs> <laughs> that is the worst place to have. Di- well, no, it's not the worst place. No. To a uh, pew at a church would would probably be a worse place. Which a maybe pew. is maybe <laughs> maybe that's why they call it that. I don't know. We just don't know, Claire. <laughs> no, it was a it was a really fun day. We mm. had a great time, and I got to walk along the the water in Bar Harbor and explore some stuff. And I saw a bunch of birds eating a crab. It was a good time. Well, I'm glad that you stopped at the convenience store since you were in my truck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought leave. you would appreciate that. Yeah, leave it at that. <laughs> so I've got a, a cool story for you. I love a cool story. Today. Mm-hmm. Banjo has a story also. Mm, yeah. Or He's gas. Maybe, maybe he needs to stop at a convenience store. <laughs> but enough about me. Let's talk about <laughs> you. Uh, let's talk about this. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible... For a man who is barely over five feet tall 
and weighs less than 100 pounds to lift blocks of stone that in some cases weigh as much as nine tons apiece using nothing but hand tools, no machinery, just by himself. Is that possible? Yes. Well, the answer would be yes, but how did he do it? We don't know. Magnets. The guy's name was Edward Leedskelnen. He was from Latvia, and shortly after World War I, he moved to the United States. He had been shunned by his lover. Shunned. Shunned. Uh, his 16-year-old bride uh, stood him up the day before the wedding. Oh. And so he was heartbroken. He came to the U.S. How old was he? Um, I don't know. He was pretty young. He was a young dude. He moved to Florida. He was looking for land in Florida. Huge tracts of land. And ended up building what is now known as the Coral Castle. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 He built this thing by hand. The Coral Castle is notable to me because it looks so much like that spa in Madison, Maine, uh, Deja Vu. It's pink, and uh, I don't know if it's a thing anymore. Okay. But they had a great so, facial service. Yeah. So, yeah. So the Coral Castle uh-huh. reminds you of a business in a small town in Maine that no one's heard of. Yeah. Uh, that may or may not still be in business. Correct. Okay. <laughs> That's... I love how your mind works. Um, so anyway, he wh- he moved to uh, Florida. He came here from Latvia. This is shortly after World War One, as I was saying. He was walking down this back road during the Great Florida land rush mm-hmm. during this particular uh, time period. Sure. Where a real estate agent who was driving around looking at land saw him walking. Just a little guy. He said he thought he was a, a young boy. He was so young, so young looking, so small. Pulled over, gave him a ride. And uh, found out that the guy had tuberculosis. So the real estate agent and his wife said, hey, you know what? You can live with us and we'll nurture you back to, uh, to health. He regained his health and he says he claims that he was able to heal himself using magnets. What? Yes, magnets. Never went into any, uh, any specifics about that. That's what he told people in later life. That, that he healed himself using magnets. That's insane. I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. It was obviously the healing Floridian waters. <laughs> Maybe that was it. He's determined to build this castle for his uh, his fiance, his former fiance. His, you mean the he, one that stood him up? Yeah, his sweet 16. He thought if he moved to the United States and built this big castle that she would relocate and, and, and find him. And he just, it was kind of a mystical thing. He decided that's what he was going to do. And over 28 years of time, he built this thing using nothing but uh, tripods and rope and chains and hand tools. Nobody saw him how he built it because he would do it under the uh, cover of night. He would only build at night. That's so strange. And when people would come to see him, uh-huh. he would stop working. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he didn't, it would be impolite, I think. <laughs> yeah. Plus, he was doing some weird kind of levitation type stuff, is what people were saying. Uh-huh. Is that he had rediscovered how the Egyptians assembled the, uh, the, the granite blocks uh, in the pyramids. That it was a, uh, it had to do with magnetics 
and wow, he's really into magnets. And also the um, energy fields, the different types of ley lines. You've heard about that, how there are stronger electromagnetic fields within the Earth that run along certain parallels, certain right. lines. And it's the soft spots in those lines that uh, is where it's easier to travel between dimensions. Well, that's another theory we'll get into in a much later time. Okay. But uh, so allegedly the uh, those types of energy lines run through Florida and this particular part of Florida, which is right outside of Miami. So people would show up and he would just stop working. He was always very polite. Mm-hmm. He was a, a nice man. People loved this guy, but he was a little bit, uh, a little bit odd. The rumor is that two young boys snuck in one night to watch him. And they said that they saw him moving blocks, these big giant coral blocks, moving them through the air like they were hydrogen balloons, just pushing them into place with his fingers. Well, then he should have been able to build it a lot friggin' faster than he did. He was a little man. I think those kids had been snashing on some mushrooms or you think, something. You think they were shrooming? Yeah. Back in the <clears throat> 20s? When, uh, was that a thing? Did kids shroom in the 20s? I'm sure they did. I know there was bathtub gin. I know that. So he, uh, he gets the perimeter built. He gets a lot of the structures in place. He's cut stone after stone after stone. And by the way, these are just incredibly precise cuts. And how is he cutting them? Do we not know that either? We don't know. We don't know. he's just slicing through it like butter with his fingertips. Nobody knows okay. for sure okay. how there are some some theories, but nobody knows for sure. That's part of the mystery. Many believe that uh, he was practicing occult Masonic practices. Nosy neighbors said that they heard him repeating incantations over the stones. But these neighbors started to really tick him off because they were becoming too nosy. So he decided that he was going <laughs> to build the castle in a different location about 10 miles away. Did he start over? Nope. He took his castle with him, what he had built up to that point. He hired a guy with a truck. The guy came with the truck. He asked the guy to step around the corner. And then when he came back out, the block of of coral, of limestone, was placed on the back of his truck. No tools, He was the only guy there. It was only like a couple of minutes. And he did this over and over and over again until he moved his entire castle 10 miles away. Okay, I I was like, I was trying to figure out what you meant because you said he moved the whole castle, but then you talked about the one block. So I just wanted to understand that he moved block. He didn't like put the whole castle on the truck. Not at at once. That would be silly. Right. That would be unbelievable. Oh, it's a museum. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. The stones were so precisely cut, and again, he did not have a diamond saw or anything like that. No right. no machinery. They were so precisely cut. Each stone was almost identical, and they fit together perfectly, kind of like what you see like Machu Picchu. You know, you look at the stones, and they're all just perfectly aligned, and, and you can't even put a, a piece of paper between the cracks on the stone. Pyramids are the same way. Right. This was uh, identical to that. And uh, he used no mortar. It was not fastened together. They're just sitting on top of each other, just using the weight, their own weight. The craftsmanship detail is so skillful 
and the stones are connected in with such precision that no light passes through. You can't even put a, a blade of grass in there. Wow. I said that the stones were like nine tons. That was kind of the average. The eight-foot-tall vertical stones that make up the perimeter, on average, they were uh, 14 tons. And the largest stone that he moved was 27 tons. Wow. That's impressive with machinery. Well, they, they did an experiment. I was watching an old episode of In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. Nice. And they hired a masonry company, somebody that actually cuts granite out of the ground, and they have specialized tools for this. Mm -hmm. And so they gave them the specifications of an average stone. Um, they cut it out of the same type of uh, coral slash limestone that uh, Ed used. And they were able, of course, to, to get the stone cut, but lifting it out was a real problem. They were able to get it up out of the ground, mm -hmm. but they only could, could drag it with uh, this big crane that they had. Oh. So you can actually see it almost tipping over while they're trying to move this 30-ton um, this block. So they interviewed the guys who did it. They said, is it possible for one guy to do this on his own? Sure. And they said, absolutely not. There's no way he could have done it on his own. But did he have a, like a dolly? Because you can move almost anything with a dolly. <laughs> he had uh, ropes and pulleys and chains, and he erected like this uh, log tripod kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But other than that, he was never seen using any kind of mechanical tools. They were all hand tools. He all worked by himself the whole time, and he was just a little dude. Did he have a job? Where did he get his money from? He was very thrifty. Okay. And he started charging for people to come in and, and look at his work. Oh, okay. Um, like, a, like a dime. He sure. would charge him a dime. And when he died, neighbors who were fiercely protective of this guy, he was beloved, they guarded his place until the police could come and, and do a thorough investigation. They found something like over $3,000 in $100 bills tucked in a little compartment in his uh, bedroom. Attached to that was what appeared to be some sort of a treasure map. Oh. But they could not, no one's been able to decipher it. They don't know what it, it doesn't make any sense. It looks like it's trying to point somebody in a certain direction. The term that I read that they used was, it doesn't make sense in three-dimensional space. Interesting. You're on a real treasure kick lately. I, it just happened, but yeah, I do have a metal detector, and I did find a box of dildos once. <laughs> That's going to be your epitaph. Yep. I once found a box of dildos. <laughs> now, he also built a gate leading into the structure, and this is a nine-ton block of limestone, and it is balanced so precisely that you can open it with your finger. You just touch it and it just oh, glides wow. around in a circle. That was quite a feat of engineering. When it broke in 1986, in order to remove it and repair it, it took six men, a 50-ton, 45-foot crane. Once the gate was removed, the engineers discovered how Leedskelman had centered and balanced it. Uh, he had drilled a hole from top to bottom and inserted a metal shaft. The rock rested on, a, on an old truck bearing. Uh, it was uh, rusting out, and that resulted in what had caused the, uh, the gate to, uh, to fail. So this guy was pretty smart. He was pretty ingenious. He, he had an engineer's mind, for sure. Oh, yeah. See, now, I, I thought you were going to say Stargate. But fine. that'd be really cool. <laughs> Maybe it is. Um, in 1951, he left a note on the gate. It just said, I'm going to the hospital. And he 
put on his one suit that he owned, mm-hmm. and he got on a bus and went to the hospital. They said he was severely malnourished. And so under their care, he started to make a comeback, but then just unexpectedly, just as he looked like he was turning the corner, he died in the hospital. And that was the end. Did he not eat food? Like, what? did he just... Nobody really knows that much about him, other than he was just a really nice, friendly guy. He's always smiling and happy, but he's very secretive. He always worked at night. Mm -hmm. He never told anybody how he did things and apparently was squirreling money away as well. Yeah, and not spending it on food. And not spending it on food. The uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, if you can, you know, master the art of rock balancing, you should reward yourself with a banana every now and again. <laughs> the Coral Castle remains a very popular uh, tourist attraction. Books, magazines, television shows speculate on on how he was able to construct the structure and move the stones that that uh, that weighed so many tons. Claims that nobody has ever seen Leedsklinen, I can't say that name. Ed? Yeah, Ed, uh, at work, and that he uh, levitated uh, the stones have been repudiated. According to Wikipedia, Orville Irwin reportedly witnessed him quarrying stones and erect parts of the wall and illustrated the methods in a book he called Mr. Kant is Dead. The short documentary he made in 1944, and it states in it that uh, if anyone ever questioned Ed about how he moved the blocks of coral, Ed would simply reply that he understood the laws of weight and leverage well. He also stated that he had discovered secrets of the pyramids, referring to the Great Pyramid of Giza. But this guy says mm-hmm. that uh, based on the equipment that he saw there at the time, mm-hmm. he was able to recreate Ed's feat of cutting precise blocks out of the bedrock and moving them by himself using these primitive tools. But nobody has seen him do that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there you go. Well, you said that one of the tools that he used was like a wood triangle thing like a tripod yeah yeah maybe that's what he meant by the secrets of the pyramid and he wasn't referring to the pyramids of giza but that shape that he was using to help move those things and that was the secret and that uh, maybe or when he was referring to the pyramid he was uh, sending out a secret message that he was actually part of the illuminati i'm making the pyramid sign with my hand mm-hmm. i i know yeah. what you're getting at yeah there. right I don't know. Or Toblerone. That's that chocolate bar, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a little triangle. Like oh, secrets of that, yeah. So I want to go and check that out. Our yeah. road trip just got longer. Well, I just noticed that it, it's also a museum. I mean, yep. it's amazing. It's pretty cool and beautifully landscaped, I have to say. Oh, he made rocking chairs out of uh, out of stone that are perfectly balanced. Yeah. Not cozy at all. Not cozy at all, but not easy to do. No, sure, but just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Look, I made a pillow out of rock. (laughs) Enjoy. No, thank you. Yeah, it does look like something that uh, you would um, furnish Fred Flintstone's living room with. (laughs) For sure. So the Coral Castle. It's right outside of Miami, Florida, or as I like to say, Miami. And now it's time for That Thing in the Middle. All right, that thing in the middle. Um, how about another Glitch in the Matrix episode? More fun from Thought Catalog. These are true stories. Allegedly. Allegedly. That make me want to not be here anymore. You mean like our bedroom? No. Where we are right I mean now? like oh. Earth. Oh, yeah, it's pretty creepy. Check out 
Bye. Keys on the desk. When I was about nine, I was eating dinner in my room for some reason. Um, I was sat at my dresser that had a big mirror, and my dad came in to check on me. He asked me if I wanted some more tea, to which I said yes and handed him my cup. I watched him walk out and close the door. And then I looked over to see my cup full of tea right from where I picked it up. I asked my dad about it. He said he never came in my room. Thanks to Mandy for uh, for voicing that for us. Uh, that was fun. She spins a fine yarn. Uh, I guess she wasn't spinning it. No. She retells a fine yarn. Yeah. She says words good. She says words good. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. So one of the things that we've learned from uh, getting to know our freaks, our listeners here on the Box of Oddities, you know, through our emails and comments, is that many of you are uh, artistic, creative types. Uh, you own small businesses. Maybe it's a, a photography studio. Maybe it's an art studio. Maybe you're an event planner. We have a lot of uh, listeners like that. And so we thought that maybe HoneyBook would be a good thing to tell you about. Now, so often, if you've got that artistic brain, um, it's not one that wants to deal with things like paperwork or emails or dealing with payment collection. So what is HoneyBook? HoneyBook is kind of a one-stop place for small businesses. Uh, Everything from helping you put together professional proposals to uh, professional emails You can do invoicing through HoneyBook. You can do contracts through HoneyBook. You can manage them all right on their platform. And one of the things that you and I really hated as freelance voiceover artists is is trying to ask people for money. And you don't have to worry about that with uh, with HoneyBook because you can just kind of set it and forget it. It'll automatically do all the invoicing for you. Right. It is just like a chicken rotisserie machine. Like a like a chicken rotisserie machine. You said set it and forget it. That's what that's oh. where that comes from. Oh, that okay, yeah. Honeybook makes it easy to streamline the client process, so you can do your creative thing, and Honeybook takes care of that other stuff. Yeah, Honeybook is a purpose built business management platform for the creative small business. So. You can save yourself hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of uh, all the boring stuff, the paperwork, the invoicing, the contracts, the proposals, all of that stuff. HoneyBook takes care of it all for you. So it's a good thing. And that's why, for a limited time, the Box of Oddities listeners can get 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with promo code BOX. Yeah, not just 50% off like, you know, 30 days or something, but 50% off your first year of HoneyBook with promo code BOX. HoneyBook memberships include unlimited access to all of the features. There's so much more that we haven't been able to tell you. You really should just go to HoneyBook.com and check it out for yourself and use promo code BOX to get started. Again, that's HoneyBook.com, promo code BOX. If you laid all our boxes of oddities end to end, you'd have, well, a lot of open boxes. You know, all laid end to end. This is the Box of Oddities. So, okay, you tell me a story now. It's only fair. (laughs) Like you could stop me. (laughs) Now, okay. Okay. Today, we are going to discuss... Standhall syndrome. Stand 
Hall syndrome. Standhall syndrome. Okay. This is a psychological disorder that has been documented hundreds of times since it was classified. Affected individuals experience a wide range of symptoms, including physical and emotional anxiety, rapid heart rate, intense dizziness um, that often results in panic attacks and or fainting, feelings of confusion, disorientation, nausea, disassociative episodes. Sounds a lot like my Monday mornings. <laughs> and I'm not being a, I'm not making a joke here. It really, you know, anxiety. It can be rough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, temporary amnesia, paranoia, are uh, in most extreme cases hallucinations. Hallucinations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is mispronunciation of words another one of the symptoms? Because we need to get you checked out. And temporary, quote unquote, madness. Temporary madness. Mm-hmm. Wow. What triggers Standhall syndrome? Beauty. Beauty? Standhall wow. syndrome, a.k.a. hyperculturemia, or Florence syndrome, it is also sometimes referred to as tourist disease, is triggered when an individual is exposed to an experience of great personal significance and, um, and beauty. Something in nature like a beautiful sunset. Hmm. Um, but most often it involves amazing architecture or in particular viewing art, uh, which is one of the reasons that it's referred to as Florence syndrome is because most of the cases have occurred in Florence. Florence, of course, was a hotbed of painting activity <laughs> back in the day. I don't know why your usage of the word hotbed just <laughs> really... Ah, really tickled me. Okay, Stendhal Syndrome is named after the 19th century French author uh, Marie-Henri Bale, or in some articles, Henry Marie Bale, uh, who described his experience with the phenomenon during his 1817 viewing of Florentine art of the Italian Renaissance. He was an author and wrote under the pen name Stendhal, S-T-E-N-D-H-A-L, Stendhal. He was 34, and he was visiting Florence's Santa... And he was visiting a cathedral in Florence. And you say that because you can't pronounce the name? And then... um, (laughs) I love that. There were some beautiful frescoes on the ceiling, and he became overly emotional about what he saw. And this was what he wrote. I was in a sort of ecstasy from the idea of being in Florence, close to the great men whose tombs I had seen, absorbed in the contemplation of sublime beauty. I reached the point where one encounters celestial sensations. Everything spoke so vividly to my soul. Ah, if I could only forget... I had palpitations of the heart, what in Berlin they call nerves. Life was drained from me, and I walked with fear of falling. Wow. From looking at a painting. Not just a painting. He was surrounded Surrounded by it. He was just engulfed in this overwhelming experience of, of art. It wasn't until 1979 that the condition was given the name Stendhal Syndrome by an Italian psychiatrist, Dr. Graziella Margarini, uh, who at the time was the chief of psychiatry at Florence's Santa Maria Nuevo Hospital. I suddenly got very accent-y there. 
Um, she began to observe that many young tourists visiting Florence appeared to be overcome with a range of symptoms, including temporary panic attacks that seemed uh, to last anywhere from hours to days. Um, and sometimes they w- it would range from just panic attacks to what they called madness. Was it just that the experience was so overwhelming? Mm-hmm. Wow. This is often compared to uh, Jerusalem syndrome, which is the same kind of idea, but people become overwhelmed when they go to Jerusalem specifically because of the religious history there and the religious art that they see there. And it's so connected to them emotionally that they become overwhelmed and lose their bits. Hmm. And... (laughs) Which I can understand because, you know, you and I love museums and yep. and I, I do tend to get a little overwhelmed and <sighs> difficult because <laughs> I, I have too many feelings and it's, it's just something that I struggle with how to deal with all the feelings. And, you know, when we were on our honeymoon and we were at the uh, museum in D.C., and I saw that self-portrait of Rembrandt. Oh, yeah. Great. And it's that's not even a painting that I have like a special connection with. It's just a painting that I've seen in books and in magazines and on TV. And and I've seen it so many times, but I'd never seen it in real life. Sure. It's, it's an overwhelming experience. It, it's something that uh, it's a direct connection to the artist. And that in itself is overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I could look at the self-portrait of Rembrandt and also hold on to a dime that he had at one point, I'd probably just die. Fun fact, Rembrandt was a collector of dimes. Anyway, so victims of Stendhal syndrome are, geez, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. They're typically impressionable single people between the ages of 26 and 40 years old who are already stressed by travel and may be struggling with jet lag. So there mm. um, are very often outside factors also moving in and making a, a difference in this situation. Making them more susceptible. Right. And a large portion of the people who deal with this have also been seen for psychological treatment outside of this instance um though quote unquote being seen for psychological treatment could just be going to a counselor i see and back in the in those days you know back in the 1800s when when this guy was talking about Mm -hmm. it you could be put in an what they called an insane asylum uh just because somebody wanted to divorce you right if you were a woman that is there are those who have studied this uh illness and believe that based on their writings that proust dostoevsky uh kant and Jung may have suffered from the effects of Stendhal syndrome. There are passages from each of their writings that really illustrate this exact thing, Hmm. you know, that they became, um, they were in the presence of something so amazing, they were enjoying it, and then the feeling switched over to something very undesirable and not enjoyable because their body was reacting in such a way that they couldn't explain. That is so interesting. Now, despite this, 
And despite that there is evidence that the same cerebral areas involved in emotional reactions are also activated during exposure to artwork, this is not listed as a recognized condition in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Though, throughout history, uh, what has that meant? You know, there have been lots of things that aren't mental disorders that once were listed in the... Sure, yeah. You know, so... Um, like getting a, a divorce. Right, right. yeah. Um, so, though there are hundreds of cases of exactly this thing happening, it's not technically a disorder at this time. Have there just not been enough cases to generate interest in that or? I don't, I don't think that's it. I think that it's, um, it may be too broad hmm. a problem. Like, uh, the effects have been so varied and. I see. Yeah. You can experience it based on so many different things. It can be a sunset. It can be a painting. It can be, you know. So I don't know. Maybe they just have a hard time kind of nailing down the details of what it is and what it means. Could it be an offshoot of another um, condition like schizophrenia or something like that? I mean, it, possibly, but it doesn't appear as though there are any long-term effects of this I how long mean, how long does a typical episode last if somebody a couple hours to a couple days really wow yeah. wow that would suck go to a museum and then you you suffer from quote madness for two days that would that would suck mm -hmm. i wouldn't like that no 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 because then you I mean you're spending that money on hotels and you're not getting to enjoy that have you seen how expensive museum food is yes mm. which is why i rate museum restaurants Check out my blog post. Hashtag museum restaurants. That's not a real thing. Well, it's not in this dimension. <laughs> Though I believe if you check my travel journal, I did rank our museum restaurants during our honeymoon. You're like an avid Yelper. <laughs> Remember that time we were in a restaurant and there was a snotty lady at the table next to us and she was all like, uh, just so you know, uh, before I order my meal, I'm an avid Yelper. Like that gave her some sort of special leverage over the server. And then she says, how many slices does your pizza come in? And she was trying to explain, well, I can slice it up as many times as you want. I mean, theoretically, I could keep slicing forever. If I had a sharp enough pizza knife and a microscope, we could break it down to the quantum level. Really? You want a quantum pizza? Have at it, avid yelper. She didn't seem to like that answer. No, no. End scene. <laughs> There's my museum restaurant rant. Okay. Anyway, so that's that thing. That's amazing. Yeah. I'd never heard of this before. Isn't that incredible? Brains are strange. Super strange. And it, amazing. And wonderful. It reminds me of that synesthesia episode that, that you did. Mm -hmm. that, was, uh, that was fascinating, too, that people can taste colors and things like that. Yeah. It's pretty great. Well, I mean, I plan on doing a whole series of whacked out brains. <laughs> Excellent. I yeah. look forward to it very yeah. much. Because I love them. And I, I think it's incredibly interesting how our brains are the only thing that tells us anything about anything. It's the only, the only reason that we see or hear or experience anything is because of our brain. And our brain is not reliable <laughs> at all. No. No, we're being lied to most of the time. Constantly. By our brains. In fact, I heard the other day pink's not real, but we'll, we'll you, talk about that later. Wait, wait. You mean female pop sensation pink? 
She's real? You know that's not what I mean. I had heard that uh, blue was never even mentioned in literature or anything up until like a thousand years ago. There are those who say that we did not, we, we did not have the capability of perceiving blue. Interesting. Yeah. Colors. Yeah, we see thousands of shades of green. And why? Because we're predators. You're scaring me. <laughs> um, speaking of which, did anyone ever notice how much Sarad from Masters of the Universe looked just like Predator? Weird. <laughs> that is so weird that you mentioned that. No, I have not. I never did. But uh, <laughs> The Box of Oddities, two boxes delivered to you every single week free of charge. And we're so glad that you joined us. And we look forward to seeing you this coming Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you freak. Love you, bye. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Belted in the club where the heat is on. <laughs> all nine on the streets to the break good on. Welcome to Miami. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science. And as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms.